I have some questions I would like you to think about this morning, and let me put them on the screen. Here are the questions. How many times does test or tested occur in the Bible? Whose personal name only occurs after the word tested? And who is the first one in the Bible directly said to be tested? Now, the answer to the first question is 104. 63 times in the Old Testament, 41 times in the New Testament, the word test or tested occurs. And so that's a very significant number of times. The answer to the second and third questions are Abraham. He's the only one whose personal name is connected with the word tested. And he is the very first one in the Bible who is directly said that God tested him. Now, the point of all of this is wonderfully stated by my old professor, Warren Wiersbe, and I want you to notice what he said and put it so well. If you're going to live by faith, then expect your faith to be tested. A faith that can't be tested cannot be trusted. This morning, as we come to Genesis 22, we are coming to a message entitled, the testing of your faith, and outside of Jesus going to the cross for our salvation, this is the greatest test in all of the Bible. And just look at this for a moment. How many of us could take a knife like this to our 13-year-old child? And even if we trusted God... How many of us could still do this? That's what Abraham was asked by the Lord to do. Now, this episode this morning is designed to answer for us three very critical questions. And at some time in your experience as a believer, you will come up with these questions. One... Why does God test us? Number two, how should we respond to testing when we are going through it? And then number three, what are the lessons that God is teaching us about himself and about us? So let's begin this morning, shall we, with the first question, which is the why question. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And let's begin by looking together at verses 1 and 2. And I would encourage you very much to follow along in your Bibles as we read this most extraordinary experience in all of Scripture. And here's what the Word of God says. After these things... God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, right off the bat here, we are told that Abraham is being tested by the Lord in this request so that we will know right up front, God is not really going to require Abraham to do this. But here's the point. Abraham does not know this. 
He only learns this at the very end of the episode. As the narrative unfolds, it becomes very, very clear that Abraham is planning to plunge a knife into his son and kill him, and he is ready to do it at God's command. Now, I often thought as I read this uh, narrative and this experience that Abraham was going to plunge a knife into the heart of his son to get this over as quickly as possible. But the word burnt offering here is very, very important for us to see because it referred to a process that Abraham had done many times and had seen many times. Normally, three things were involved in offering a burnt offering. Number one, the offering's throat was slit. Down in verse 10, when it says slaughter, it is a reference to slitting the throat. Number two, the body was cut up and dismembered. And number three, the parts of the body were totally consumed in a fiery holocaust so that nothing was left. This is the horror of what Abraham imagined that God was asking him to do. Now, as we've said, this is the very first time in Scripture anyone is specifically said to be tested by God. But the New Testament takes this very word, tested, and applies it to the trials that we go through. We are all very familiar with James 1, 2-4, that says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the same idea that we find here in Genesis 22, and the word testing here means to demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. So one of the benefits of trials is that they show that our faith in Christ is real rather than spurious, and they show that our faith in the Lord is growing rather than stagnant. But this word also, as we said, occurs many times in the Old Testament, and in particular, it is a very important word in the Torah. Here, for example, in Deuteronomy 8.2, look at how God said he regularly dealt with his people. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now here the Old Testament word for testing means to prove our loyalty or our love for God. So think about this. Another benefit of the trials we go through is to demonstrate a deepening love for the Lord as we go through that trial that he has designed for us. 
I don't think there's anybody here this morning who would say this. The reason that I love God is for what I can get out of Him. I don't think anyone would say that. We all instinctively know that we are to love God for Himself and not just for the gifts He gives us. Isn't that really the whole point of the book of Job? Isn't it? Satan comes to the Lord one day as the angels meet before him, and he says to the Lord, Job only loves you because you've blessed him. And God says, that's not true. Job loves me genuinely. He loves me wholeheartedly. And remember, Satan basically says, okay, prove it. And God says, all right, I will. Job lost his wealth, and he still loved God. Then he lost his family, and he still loved God. Then he lost his health, and he still loved God. Then he lost his friends, and he still loved God. And you remember what Job said. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And so the message of the book of Job is God is still worth loving even when we have to suffer. God is still worth loving, even when we have to suffer. And we all instinctively recognize this is true. And God tests us to see, do we really love him just for who he is? Now notice the second question. The second question is the how question. And how are we to respond to the testing that God puts us under? Well, look at how Abraham responded. Follow along now, starting in verse 3, and let me read down to verse 10. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him on the third day. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, Just listen to the poignancy of this. My father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. 
When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. This is the high point of Abraham's life. James chapter 2 says this is the pinnacle of his faith. And do you know why we love this chapter so much? I know that you, like me, love this chapter. It shows how much a man, a mortal man, could love God. That's why we love this chapter. And instinctively in our hearts, we all say, Lord, I want to love you like this. This is where I want to be, loving you so much, I would hold nothing back from you. And we can love the Lord like that. If we will respond the way Abraham did. Notice the things that he teaches us, how important they are. Number one, do not demand explanation for the testing. Do not demand explanation for your testing. What would most people have done when God said to do this? What would most people have asked? Why? Explain this to me. This is so unreasonable. Tell me why Abraham does not do that. Why not? I think there are two answers. Number one, Abraham knew this. If God wanted to explain, he would have explained. God did not choose to explain. And Abraham knew God has reasons, and those reasons are not for me to question. Number two, if God explained, it would no longer be a test, right? If you're sitting in class in school and you have the answer key, that's not a test you're about to take. And if God explains this to Abraham, then he's in on the secret and the test disappears. There's a very important verse in the Old Testament we need to apply to our trials, our sufferings, and our testings. And it is Deuteronomy 29, 29. And look what it says. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There's a wonderful comment on this by J.I. Packer, and it's so helpful that I want to share it with you. Listen to what Packer says about this verse. We should not pry into his secrets. We are to be content to live with what he has told us. 
Reverence excludes speculation about things that God has not mentioned in his word. We must be content not to know what scripture does not tell us. And what does God say at the end of this episode to Abraham? Now I know that you fear me. That is reverence. And Abraham reverenced God by not prying into the secret that God had not revealed to him as he gave him this test. If we go down the road of why me? That is a path we may never return from. Many people have gone down this road, Lord, why me? And here's the problem. When we ask that question, we may not get the answer that we want. Don't go there. Don't go there. Here's the second way we are to respond. Remain committed to obey God in the testing. Remain committed to obey God in the testing. Now, let's be honest. If there was ever a day to sleep in, this would be that day, right? I think I'll sleep in till noon today. And the next day, I'm really not feeling well. And the third day, uh, I think it's going to rain. But what does Abraham do? He gets up very early, travels three days, 50 miles, 20 hours on foot, through hot and arid country. There's no giving up. There's no turning back. There's no saying, this is too hard. You see, one of the hardest things to do in trials is to keep obeying. Day after day, when it's so hard. To keep attending worship. To keep reading the Bible. To keep praying. To keep being a servant to others. To keep seeking God. To keep saying, Lord, what is it that you are trying to teach me in this trial? It is so hard. And yet that's the way that we develop strength, endurance, and character. We doggedly, by faith, keep obeying every day. And then, here's the third way we are to respond. Trust what you know about God more than what your eyes can see. That is so important. Trust what you know about God more than what your eyes can see. Verse 4 says, On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. What a dreadful sight that must have been. The time has now come. 
All that I have imagined I must do, now I must do. What every fiber of my being says I do not want to do, this is the very thing at this moment I have to do. How in the world does Abraham go through this? And the answer is verse 5, isn't it? He said to the servants, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Both of us will return. It's interesting how some commentators on this passage struggle with this. And they wonder, was this a white lie? Was Abraham confused about what he was actually going to do? Was he going to disobey and not follow through? You know what the answer is. It's in verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide. That's one of the great names for God in the entire Bible. The Hebrew phrase is Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord will provide. Hebrews 11.19 tells us that Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. We know instead at the end of the narrative, God provided a substitute ram at the last minute. But either way, Abraham knew this, God will honor his word. He will fulfill his promises. He will provide. Can I ask you a question this morning? What dreadful mountain are you facing? What dreadful mountain right now are you facing? Is it bigger than Jehovah Jireh? I don't think any of us would say it is. I love what one pastor has said, God already has a solution even before we know we have a problem. That's what happened here. Before Abraham even knew, I have a test that is going to be the most difficult test anyone has ever faced, God already had a solution. One Christian author has said this, God has no problems. All God has is plans. And I love that. That dreadful mountain you are facing right now, which is a problem to you, is not a problem to God. He has no problems. All he has his plans. And so that leads us to the final question. What is it that God 
is teaching us in the midst of our testing. And I invite you to look with me at verse 11 and notice what the scripture says. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to harm him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. There are two lessons that God wants us to learn from our testings, and here they are. When God tests you, he will provide. He will not fail you in the midst of your test. And when obedience is hard, God will reward. In his way, in his time, at his place, he will reward. Did you notice that God doubled down on the promises? Ten chapters ago in chapter 12, when we first met Abraham, God said, I will bless you. I will multiply you. Now, verse 17, he says, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring. May I ask you this question, why the doubling down? The answer is in verse 18. Because you have obeyed my voice. God rewards obedient faith. In his time and in his way, he rewards the obedient. Now we know that the New Testament comments on this great pinnacle of Abraham's life. And as often happens when the New Testament comments on the Old Testament, it gives us the point of the lesson. And I want you to read with me from Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on faith, verses 17 to 19. 
the lesson that God wants us to learn from this great chapter. Let's read it together, shall we? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God is able. God is able. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Let's bow together and thank Him. Just before I lead us in prayer, as we are quietly before the Lord, what test are you going through right now? Has it been a long one? Has it been a weary one? Has it tried you sorely? Have you been tempted to ask, Why me? Lord, when will this end? And today, God is asking you to learn from the father of your faith, Abraham, why he tests, how you are to respond, and what he is teaching you. And would you Put yourself in the humble position of Abraham. Lord, you are God. I am not. I don't know all of your secrets. What I do know from the Bible is the kind of God that you are. You are a God who provides. You are a God who is able. You are a God who rewards. And would you say to the Lord, that is enough for me to trust you, to obey you, and to keep following you. And someday, in your good time and in your way, whether it's here in this world or in the world to come, 
I will no longer see through a glass darkly, but I will see face to face. And I will know, even as I am now known. And Lord, that's enough for me. I love you not because of what you give. I love you for your very self. May I love you and obey you that way all through my life. Thank you that you are growing my faith and deepening my relationship with you. For Jesus' wonderful sake, Amen.